Well, there was a story about a 40-year-old man who was going to his uh, annual physical, his annual checkup. Uh, he's about 100 pounds overweight. And when he went in, uh, his doctor told him after running a series of tests that he got high cholesterol, extremely high cholesterol. Uh, you got type 2 diabetes. And if you don't get your act together with your eating and not working out, then you are at risk of a stroke. And I don't even know, honestly, if you're going to make it through this next year alive if you continue to go down this route that you're going. Well, the man had a family, and he loved his family dearly, and so he recognized that there needed to be a change in his life, that he needed to make a, a complete shift in his diet and the way he took care of his body. And so, of course, he took heed to what the doctor had prescribed for him to do in regards to working out and eating. And he was diligent about it for that entire year. And when he came back the following year for his next checkup, uh, he had lost 100 pounds. He had lost all 100 pounds of that excess weight that he had. And his doctor looked at him and said, well done. Great job. And so I, I, I posed that, that story there because I want you to think about this question, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but was his health restored because of this knowledge and this information that he got about his own life and his own healthy, healthiness? Or was his health restored and he was this new person, in a sense, because he was diligent about putting to practice what his doctor told him to do? Well, of course, it was the latter, right? The doctor just telling him that he had all of these health issues, the doctor telling him what he should do and filling his head with all the right things that will get him to a better place with his health, that's not going to do anything. At some point in time, he has to take what the doctor told him, which is in his brain now, it has to get down to his heart and down to his hands and his feet, and he has to get moving. And he has to, has to put this knowledge to action in order to get the result that he needed to continue to live. Well, as we open up our passage this evening, this is one of the most contested, if not the most contested passage in all Christianity, is this passage that we're studying tonight. And if you don't have the right understanding of this passage, then you will be passive and you will even possibly freeze up when someone challenges you when it comes to faith and works. You see, because it, it will happen. It's been happening for 2,000 plus years, and that is why our passage talks about it so much today, because it has been a problem amongst Christianity when we talk about these two words, faith and works. Faith and works. And the reason we're so passive about it is, rightfully so, we don't want to step out of bounds. Right? But oftentimes, it, 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 it paralyzes us to a point where we go through life as an ineffective Christian because we don't want to use that W word, works. What I want you to get out of tonight as we study this text is I want you to walk away fully confident and not afraid to say works works. God has designed us for works. That is part of sanctification. That is part of our Christian life is 
works. And I don't want you to walk on eggshells saying works. But you need to make sure that you say it in the right context is the most important thing. Because this doctrine, when we use the word works, that has to happen in the Christian life. It has to happen. It is part of the Christian life. It is essential. We have to make sure that we are talking about the Christian life and not about salvation. That's where this doctrine becomes wrong and false. Salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. Say that with me. Salvation is through grace, by, faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. Right? I want to make sure we get that right. That has to be right. I want to make sure you hear me from the outset of it. That is salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone. That's it. There's no works mentioned in there. But once we become saved, once we become a new creation in Christ that is filled with good works. Because we need to understand, as I say that, faith alone. What does that faith really mean? What does faith mean? Well, let's go ahead and open our passage for tonight and... James is going to tell us exactly what that faith means and what it entails. And so we walk away and make sure that we have a great understanding of faith. And it's not misunderstood. We're not walking on eggshells afraid of the word works because that is tied directly to our faith and it is living out our faith is those works. James 2 verse 14 is where we're going to spend this evening, James 2.14. It says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled saying, that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. He starts off at the beginning of that passage. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If you take out one word 
in that next line, it changes everything. Can faith save him? Yes. But he, he, he has this word that in there that we must focus our attention on. Can that faith save him? Can that faith? What faith is he talking about? The faith that he just mentioned. The faith of someone saying he has faith but no works to show for that faith. He says, can that faith save him? No. Right? And so we need to understand what faith are we talking about. He's not denying that faith saves. He's denying the type of faith, that faith, that type of faith that he's talking about that has zero works. That faith can't save him because that is not the faith that is designed by God. In my backyard, I have these fruit trees, and I got a a lemon tree, I have an orange tree, and I have an apple tree. And the lemon tree is the one that gets the most use from me uh, because I can just go out there and whatever I'm cooking or or doing, I can just grab a a lemon off the tree and put it to good use. But when I go out there and look at this lemon tree and I pull from this lemon tree, I never have to wonder what I'm going to get from this lemon tree. I don't go out there and say, "Mm, am I going to get an apple today or, you know, am I going to get an orange today? Am I going to get a grapefruit today? It's producing lemons. I mean, it's so simple. My kids can even go out there and grab a lemon from that lemon tree because they know what the lemon tree is going to produce. That's just what it does. It produces lemons. I expect it to produce lemons because it is a lemon tree. Well, God has designed the Christian life the same way in that when we become new creations in Christ, you expect good works. That's just how it is designed. That is just what happens is we produce fruit. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to try. You don't have to wish. You don't have to say this hocus pocus thing. That's just what we do as Christians. You produce fruit because that is how God has designed faith. That's how God has designed Christianity. And so just as God has designed us to produce fruit and we should expect it, our point number one for this this evening is You and I need to expect fruit to accompany saving faith. Expect good fruit to accompany saving faith. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you are a Christian here this evening, then your life should be filled with good fruits, and you should expect that. And if there are not good fruits in your life, then you should check and make sure that you have the right faith, that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Because God's promises, there will be fruit. Matthew 7, 16 through 20, jot that down, or if you can flip there quickly, we'll go there because Jesus tells us exactly what we can expect from the Christian life. He says this, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Right? Fruit is a blessing. The fruit that we have in our life, the fruit that we can expect as Christians is a blessing. Because guess what? It takes out the guessing. You can, you can quote that, tweet that, right? Fruit is a blessing because it takes out the guessing. What does it take out the guessing? It, it lets us know. It gives us assurance in our faith. We can know that we are a child of God because we can look back and see Christ-like things in our life. We can see a trail of fruit that is happening in our life. It gives us assurance and it gives us evidence of our justification. 
evidence of our justification. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to, 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 to go speak to somebody. You can look at your life and say, am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ? Am I bearing Christ-like fruit in my life? And know that we are saved. Because guess what? You and I, before we became believers, we weren't thinking about doing that. We weren't thinking about pleasing Christ. Yeah, we might have done a few good things, but we weren't truly saying, God is Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, so I'm surrendering my life to him. Whatever Jesus wants, that's what, that's what I want my life to be all about. You and I weren't thinking about that. But if we are believers, we can look back in our life and say, yeah, this is, this is this only because of the grace of Christ, only because the Spirit is guiding me to do this, because otherwise I wouldn't do it on my own. Fruit gives us assurance and evidence in our life, Right? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is part of the Christian life. We should expect good fruit to accompany our faith because that is how God has designed it. I mean, faith is, is, is action-oriented. Faith is, is moving. It's not just this standstill, passive, uh, you know, intellectual faith that we have that nobody ever knows about. It's moving. Right, you're going to move. Your feet are going to move based on what you believe in. Right, if I told all of you guys right now, this this building that's connected to us, that's that's down the road, is connected to us, is on fire, and the fire is headed this way. If you cared about your life and you had faith in what I told you, guess what? You wouldn't be doing. You wouldn't just sit here. You wouldn't say, "Ah, "That's that's good head knowledge, Kellen. I I appreciate that." No, you would get up and move outside because you cared about your life and you believed what I said. And then it prompted action. And if somebody asked you outside, hey, why are you outside? You would say, well, because my, pa- my pastor just told me that there was a fire connected to our building. So it prompted me to get up and move outside. It's the same way our faith works, right? When, when, we are, when, when the Spirit leads us to do things, when we read God's Word and we want to be obedient and we trust that God is who He said He is and that He has the best for our life and that we want to please Him, then we do what He says, The faith that we're talking about has action. The faith that we're talking about produces good fruit, and it causes our body to move. I repeat what I said at the outset. Works have nothing to do with salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone. Not talking about that. I'm talking about being saved, being in Christ. As Christians, we are produced. We are supposed to be doing good works. That is our life. But James further explains this by, by giving an illustration of, of what that looks like. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what, what good is that? What good is that? I, we, we, just, we, we know the right thing to do, but we don't do it. What, what good is that is what he's saying. Right? Turn to Matthew 25. 31 through 40. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. Right. He, James is looking at this, and we'll get to, to Matthew, but he's looking at this and saying, uh, he, here's my faith, but there's nothing, nothing that fills it. Right? There, there's no action behind it. Helping the needy. Jesus tells us a little bit about that. Verse 31, Matthew 25. 
He says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one, one from another as shepherds separate sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. These people that we're about to talk about are getting the, the kingdom. Who are those? From the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly, I say to you, as you did it, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And I love that because that, that, that parallels with our passage. So there's something about what Jesus is talking about and what James is talking about with our faith when it comes to those that are in need. And I'm not talking about those that, you know, we look at and say, hey, I'll get you today and then next month if I need something, you got me back, right? No, the people that we're talking about here are those that probably can't return the favor. You're not expecting anything from them. Those are the needs that he's talking about, helping the needy. And I just wonder, Christian men, how often do we go to help those that we know won't return anything else? Because Jesus did. Jesus did that throughout his life. And that's what we're called to do as Christians, is we need to seek to meet needs and not always seek to meet needs with people that can return it. Because a lot of us in here, when we meet needs, uh, most of us are, are doing okay in life, right? health-wise or, or, or financially or, or just your, your living situation, all that, you're, you're doing okay for the most part in here, most guys, right? And so I'm not necessarily talking about meeting needs here. I'm talking about all the needs. When you have people that are sick, when you have people that are shut in, when you have people that are disabled, when you have people that are poor, when you have people that are in jail, when you have all of those, right? I just wonder where God has put those situations in your life where you can step up, how have you responded to those? Because those are some of the needs that you and I need to consider more. Because these are the ones that Jesus is focusing on. The least of these, hungry, thirsty, strangers, unclothed, sick, in prison. Had an opportunity to go to the, to the hospital um, not too long ago to visit uh, a guy that doesn't go to our church. I actually got connected with him uh, through somebody that goes here. He was a non-believer, but uh, he had terminal cancer. So he's in the hospital. Again, here's somebody who he's seeing the end date coming pretty, pretty soon. Right? And when I got in there to talk to him, we got a chance to share the gospel with him and, and praise God that he, he, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it was, it was, it was a great time with him. And he even smiled. It, it, as challenging as this was, he smiled. And one of the things that he told me was the friends that he had, the so-called friends that he had, none of them had come to visit him, right? They were busy. They got other things to do. But yet when he was up and moving around and was able to do things for them, yeah, they were buddy-buddy. 
But when it came down to it, when he didn't have anything else to offer anybody else, they weren't there. And I'm not saying that just to say, like, hey, look what I did. Because, again, anybody could have got that call. Anybody could have went to that hospital. But I'm just asking you to think back in your life and say, with your sphere of influence, when we think about some of those things, hungry, thirsty, uh, you know, strangers, unclothed, sick, in prison, how often have you taken that opportunity to say, I'm going to go sh- share Christ with somebody. I'm going to go love on somebody and show the light of Christ in those situations, those situations where they can't give back what you're giving to them. You're not expecting anything back. Well, that's the pastor's job. No, it's, it's not the pastor's job, brother. That's all of us. That's the Christian job to do, right? That's Christian work. That's Christ-like work is to be able to go meet those needs. And if you don't have those needs, praying for those opportunities. God, let me, let me, let me in a, just make an exchange with somebody that, that, that has a need, that I, I don't want anything in return. They, pro- they can't do anything for me, and that's exactly what I want. But I want to meet that need because I want to show the light of Christ to that person. And see God work in there. Again, those are that good fruit that accompanies saving faith. But we get back to our passage. James anticipates the pushback that he's going to get. So back in our passage, verse 18, he knows his pushback is coming. And so he calls it out. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Someone will say, there will always be opposition to faith and works. That's what people are going to do. They're 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 not okay with it being in harmony with one another, with it being together. They want to separate it, right? And they separate you into two categories. They either say, hey, you got this, 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 this easy believism faith where it's like, hey, I'm just, I said I believe, I said the prayer, and then everything's good now. It doesn't matter. I can just continue life, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I just need to believe. Or you have the other option, which is works-based salvation, right? They go so far to say, well, I got to work up and earn enough favor for God in order to get into heaven. Look, both of them are not the faith that we're talking about, right? Because we're not talking about just head knowledge, and we're not talking about works-based salvation. It is... A, 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 a meshing and it's harmonizing the two of them. Because guess what? The Bible has no problem harmonizing the two of them. I can show you plenty of passages here in just a second where the Bible talks about faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. And then it also talks about good works as a Christian. And it harmonizes both. And all I'm saying, brothers, is we need to be able to harmonize both and we shouldn't fear back or fall back and be ashamed of saying, yeah, both, both and. Post-salvation, you, have to, you, you should have works. Your faith should have works. And we should see the harmony in faith-producing works. So that's point number two this evening. See the harmony in faith-producing works. See the harmony in faith-producing works. I mean, in evangelism, you get this pushback, right? Most people will say, well, I have my own faith. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I live it out. Me and God are on some good terms, and he, he tells me what he wants me to do, which is code for I do what I want to do, and I just sprinkle a little Jesus on it. That's all it is, right? Because there, there's only one faith, and this faith works, and this faith produces Christ-like work. But the sad part about, about it is this even happens in the church, right? It happens in the church where you have people that, although you've clearly said, by grace alone, 
grace only by Jesus' grace that we're saved. They still throw out, oh, that's, that's legalism, right? You're talking about works too much. Here's an observation. Uh, I'm probably going to hack a few people off with this one, but I don't, I don't care. Um, here's what I've encountered just by observation of people that tend to say legalistic flag being thrown. Most of those people that tend to say legalistic are the same people that don't have much fruit in their life. Most of the people that, that throw that flag and say, oh, I got a problem, there's works-based salvation, oh, you're asking me to do too much, you can look at their life and there's not a lot of fruit there. And so the only way, only way they can get you off of their back is to say, boy, you're being a legalist, so I'll just call you that. Because guess what? If you got fruit in your life and there's another brother that got fruit in their life, guess what you're doing? Great job. Keep pressing on. I want to pray for you. I want you to go get more fruit, right? Go be more fruitful. There's no way somebody that's fruitful over here can call out somebody else that's fruitful if we're in context. Again, we're on the other side of salvation, right? We're talking post-Christianity. It just doesn't happen. The reason you have this conflict is because there's envy, there's jealousy of, hey, you're doing fruitful work. And I'm not quite doing it, and so I want to bring you down to where I'm at. That's just an observation that I've had from the people that tend to throw out that the most. All throughout Scripture, you see this harmonization of the two. You see it. It's, it's, it's not legalism. Legalism, of course, is trying to earn your favor in right standing in front of God. We're not talking about that. If you've taken partners, you know it's the gospel plus response equals salvation and good works. Right? It's, it's on that side of the, the equal sign. And that's what it is. And there's plenty of passages. Jot these down. I'll just read them. Matthew 5, 16 is one. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And do what with it? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The point of our good works is to give glory to God, not for ourselves. It's to put the focus on Christ, not on us. Acts 9, 36. Now, there was... In Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, she was full of good works and acts of charity. Good works and acts of charity. Colossians 1.10. Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Hebrews 10.24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and what? Good works. One more, 1 Peter 2.12. And I'm giving you all just so you can't say, oh, it's just Paul. No, I'm giving you everybody, right, everybody. Anybody who wrote New Testament, I tried to give you here. I didn't get all of them, but here's enough. 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Works, 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 works. You hear that in every passage I just said. Why? Because it matters. It matters. It matters. It's the reason we're talking about these people that are, are, are in the Bible, because they had good works. We're not talking about anybody because they had good test scores. We're not talking about anybody because they could memorize Bible verse. We're not talking about anybody because they had great head knowledge. We're talking about the works and deeds that they did for Jesus Christ. And they're still encouraging, in a, encouraging us today, 2,000 years later. So I don't want to hear when people have to say, oh, that's too much work, too much work. The Bible talks about works. As a Christian, the Bible talks about works. 
Because if you have the right faith, it's going to produce works. Understanding faith. And then he goes to the extreme of taking who's the most against God? Well, the demons, right? The demons. And he compares that intellectual belief without life change to the demons. It's it's the same thing, right? The demons believe. You want to talk about theology and and Bible and, and all? They got more of that than you do. They got way more of that than you do. But what's the difference? They shudder. They shudder when it comes to God. Where Christians should fear God with a healthy fear, but then it should produce good works in us. Right? There's action within our faith. Right? It's not an intellectual faith. It's not easy believism. Right? There's action. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Here's another verse for you. I'm throwing out all these verses at you so you can understand where I'm coming from. I don't want you to shy away from works because it's all throughout the Bible. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We need to harmonize these two. I I, I threw on this... um, this point, James 2.24, and the reason I did, because this is the verse. This is the one verse, if you want to sum everything up, what causes the most problem is James 2.24, right? And it causes problems because when you compare it with Romans 3.28 that says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, it, put, it looks like on the surface that Paul and James are at odds with each other, but they're not at odds with each other, right? There's two different battles that they're facing. Right? You got James over here that's, that, that's looking at this, this, this church that he has that is looking, that basically saying, I got faith so I can sit back and relax. Everything's all good. And he's saying, no, 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 no. That's not how faith works. Right? And so he's standing here facing this battle over here. Meanwhile, you got Paul over here facing the Judaizers and everybody else that's still saying it's works, it's works, it's works. Salvation needs to have works too in order to be saved. And so they're fighting two different battles where Paul is saying, no, it's by grace alone through faith alone, where James is saying, look, you got to get moving. You got to do something. Right? It's the same battle that they're fighting, just two different audiences that they have. And so they can harmonize the two together. Because they're talking about the same exact faith. And Paul, or James, talks about it all throughout his book, right? James 2, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point. So he comes out of the gates and says, look, we fall short, right? We fail at one point, we become guilty of all of it, right? Fast forward to what we'll talk about next time. For we all stumble in many ways. You know what this stumble word means? Sin. We all sin in many ways. So James is not saying that, hey, works are going to do anything because he's telling you right now, we all sin, we all fall short. Right? And Paul understands it as well. In Galatians 5, 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Okay? So if, if we read more than just one verse, like we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to consider context, and we're supposed to study God's Word, take all of God, God's Word into account, never just pulling out one verse. Right? We understand that, look, Paul and James are, 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 are on the same page. They're completely on the same page. If somebody's saying that they're not, then they're not reading Scripture properly. They're not, they're not taking into consideration the full context because you can just go a few verses down and see there's harmony between the two. And as we get in our last section of this passage, verses 20 through 26, we get examples again that we can look back into in history and see. Verse 20. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I just love the juxtaposition that we have here. You take the father of Israel, right, the, the, the one that we see high and mighty, the one that you would put way up here, and then you probably take the lowest of the totem pole, right, this pagan prostitute. They probably don't have anything in common except faith. They both have faith in the one true God, and that allows their actions to show that, right? Their actions show that. They, they're risking much for their faith. And that's why James chose the two of them, and that's why we still look at the two of them today and say, wow, I, I, I'm in awe of that faith, right? That is a big faith that they have, right? They're willing to, to risk everything, right? Abraham's willing to risk the son that he's been waiting for because this was part of God's plan. If he would have went through with it, he trusted God's plan. Rahab, willing to put her life on the line, all she had to do was get caught and her life was over with. But she was willing to trust God. All I'm asking men is, what are you willing to risk today? What are we willing to risk? Right, because faith is not easy. Faith is not, oh, I'll just, you know, do this deed over here and, you know, it didn't cost me anything. I was probably going to do it anyway. And I, No, faith, when we're talking about faith and these examples of faith, they risk big things. Even ask yourself, reflect in your own life, what have you risked for God? What have you risked for God's glory? All right, what's been hard for you to do? What's been, what's been a stretch of your limitations? What's cost you time and money? What's cost you effort? What's cost you relationships? What's cost you friendships? What's cost you jobs for God's glory? Because those are the stories of the faith that we read. And I'm just saying, God has, has probably put that in your life. If he hasn't, have big faith that's coming for you. And I want you guys to look at all of these. These are, these are, these are people, right? These aren't just made-up stories. These are people, just like you and me, that had big faith, that God had a plan for them, and he used them in a great way because they had faith that worked and lived out what God had put in front of them to go accomplish for his good pleasure, for his will. Having that saving faith is going to be costly. And that's point number three this evening is we need to feel the costliness of saving faith. Feel the costliness of saving faith. I just wonder if we were to take your life since you've become a Christian, right, because that's what we're talking about again, Christian life, since you've become a Christian and we were to put it up here on the, on the screen, right, up here on the screen and we were just to watch Watch your life, and you couldn't speak about it. You couldn't justify it. You couldn't say, hey, right here, I was doing this, and I was thinking about this. No, we just watched, right? We just watched. And we just watched you at work. You know, we watched you around your family. We watched you when opportunities came for you to do Christ-pleasing work, and we just watched. Right? Could, would we be able to tell from just watching your life without you talking 
that there's a lot of fruit in that life. Like there were some things that you were willing to give up that cost you some things because of the faith that you had. Sam, would that, would that happen if we watched your life? Again, take a side coming to church here on Tuesday night and throughout the week. Like if you just took the, the, the driving to church out of it, aside from that, what would your life show? On the big screen if we're all watching. Would we be able to separate you from your coworkers, your neighbors, your non-Christian friends? Or would it be a blend? Would you need to come in and commentate what you were thinking and what you were doing? Right? Because that shouldn't be the case. We should be able to look at all of our lives and say, because of the faith that we have, the faith that works, of God working through us for good works, it should, it should just be evident. It should be evident. And that's the faith and evidence I want all of you to have. To look back, not in a boasting way, because it's all for God's glory, but to be able to say, what I'm doing now, I would have never done on my own. But only through Christ Jesus, only through the Spirit leading me. There's a cost to saving faith. There's a cost to it. Uh, one more passage I want you to turn to, uh, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, we go to the hall of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 4, says this, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because he had because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed the ark for the saving of his household. By this, he was condemned he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. You look at these people, Abel, more superior sacrifice. I don't know what that was, but he gave a sacrifice that was more superior. And there was obvious works there, right? There was obvious a cost there, right? Enoch commended. He was pleasing God. He was seeking after God, right? So much so that God just plucked him up, right? He didn't even have to experience death. I don't know what that was, but it was something significant. It was something that wasn't just your normal day-to-day -day life. He was doing something that was significant when it comes to faith in God. Noah, Noah built an ark. I'm sure he probably had family schedule, all these things that he needed to do, but he had faith to spend his entire life building this ark during that time because he trusted what God had said. All right, Abraham, I didn't read that, but going on verse 10, he told him to go out to an unknown place. Abraham's uprooting his family somewhere he was probably comfortable, right? It cost him everything, to leave behind everything. But, but he said, I have faith in God. You, again, when I read these stories, these are big faith opportunities that these men had. And they took it because they had faith in what God was doing. And God was able to do big things through them because of the big faith that they had. And all of you men in here have opportunity to have big faith in whatever it is in your life. 
God is constantly putting that in front of you. And it requires a cost. It's going to require something that's not necessarily easy. Time, energy, finance, I don't, I don't know what it is. Right? But what I want you to understand is, look, we can't outgive God. Right? You give God your time, your energy, your, 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 your finances. You give God that, he's going to continue to bless whatever you're doing, the people that you're, that you're ministering to. Right? He will work through them. You may not always see it. You may not always feel that way, but God is working in a much bigger way than your in my sacrifice. He just calls us to be able to count that cost and do it. When I was uh, playing basketball in college, we had this, this walk-on, I remember. And, I mean, this dude worked harder than anybody else I've met. So much so that the scholarship players would be like, dude, you got to chill out. Like, ch- like, stop. Like, sleep a little bit. Right? Take a playoff here and there. And it, it, it sounds silly, but the reason we did that is because, look, we, we needed him to bring, bring the level down. Because if he didn't, then coach was going to expect us to continue to raise our level of play. And I don't know. I, I, I couldn't keep up with the dude. He, he was just something else, right? But the same thing happens with our Christian life. You see, when somebody is out there pursuing Christ, when somebody is out there bearing much fruit, when somebody is out there studying God's word, when they're doing God's word, when they're being obedient to God's word, there's too many people, too many Christians that have the mindset of saying, hey, you need to relax. Hey, you're works-based, right? You're, 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 you're pushing legalism, right? And a lot of that is because there's conviction in their own heart that they're not doing what they should be doing when it comes to obeying God's words, right? Some of us have that sometimes. Like, why does he get all the recognition? Well, let's not worry about that. Let's go encourage one another. We got enough enemies out there trying to take us down, trying to stop us anyway. As Christians, we need to encourage one another, continue to stir each other up for love and good works. Right? That should be our model. That should be what we do. And guess what? If that's you today that has had the tendency to talk about other people because of what they're doing to pursue Christ, then stop doing that and make that change today. And you get on that side to where you're encouraging people. And you're allowing those people that are running the race hard to spur you on. Because God is wanting to work through you as well. Like, I get the whole thing. Like, we, we don't want to even toe the line to be close to, 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 to be you know, a legalist. But here's how you steer clear of that. You stay in God's word, you stay in prayer, and you keep brothers that are going to keep you accountable around you. You do those three things, you don't have to worry about legalism. Because guess what? You'll be convicted by the Spirit or you're going to get somebody that's going to call it out in your life well before you even get down that path. Man, I want us to leave here this evening and understand we all have work to do to live out our Christianity. It is evidence of our justification, evidence of something that's already happened. Right? Positionally, we are, we are, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are positionally sanctified. Right? You are wholly set apart. That, that, that's not going to change. But I'm talking about this progressive sanctification. Pastor Mike started that, this uh, series of aggressive sanctification. I'm talking about pursuing Christ. I'm talking about a faith that works. We need to do that all the more. Live out your faith every day, man. Whatever God is putting in front of you, seek after it. And continue to produce the good fruit in your life that you can look back on and say, yeah, I know God is working in me 
because there's fruit from my salvation. Let's pray. God, I know this is a, a challenging this concept and doctrine that we have that is, we get so much heat from. And I'm sure there might even be heat in here this evening. Lord, but I pray that all of that aside, we would be able to focus on you and know that all throughout your word, you call us to work good works and good deeds. Not because it glorifies us, not because it gives us attention, because it puts the attention on you. When we do good deeds, when we seek your good works that you have laid out in front of us, it allows people to know you. It allows people to see the light of Christ. It allows people to come to Christ. And Lord, I just pray that we would do that all the more, that we wouldn't shy away from works or even talking about works post-salvation, that we would be all about that, that we would be men of this church that would lead the way with that, that they would look at the compass men of this church and say, that is a, a church that has a, a big faith. They are willing to put things on the line for Christ's sake. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts up to do that more starting this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.